one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Dear Bumblebee, an online nook of the internet for all things bookish and joyful, curated by yours truly, Yelly. Whether it's a short and sweet review on Instagram or a giggly monthly wrap up on YouTube, Dear Bumblebee is the newest and coolest place to find your next fave read and celebrate your old faves too. Find her on Instagram and Twitter at Dear underscore Bumblebee or on YouTube as Bumblebee Reads. I'm Sophie. I'm Yelly. And this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. Now in our final season. In this episode, we're chatting with the iconic Jana Schmeeding about her show, Rutherford Falls. But first, our news corner. Okay, mail alert! We've opened a Google form for you, our beloved family members, to write little notes of love to this fat community you've helped build. We'll be reading and posting your letters all season long. Speaking of, we have a very special letter from Hannah. I have loved this podcast ever since I discovered it over a year ago. I love the fun conversations that I hear, and they have been informative, educational, and full of joy and complex feelings for me. It is sad seeing that as soon as I discovered this podcast, it wasn't long until I found out this would be the last season. My favorite episodes are many, but out of the newer episodes, I love the fat and queer episodes, which I wish I would have found out beforehand so I could have put in my voice memo. I also have to say that the beginning of the April Fool's Day episode got me cracking up with laughter. You all are amazing. I would have loved to get more involved. I had so many conversations I would have loved to have, and I'm sure you would have loved to have with me. Keep on doing what is best for you in the days to come, and just know that I love you all and miss you. I'm happy to have such a great distant fat, Molly. That's so sweet. Thank you, Hannah. That's so nice. I'm so glad you found the podcast when you did. And we would have loved to have combo with you. If you have anything you want to say, you can always send us a voice memo in our mailbox and we might play it. So go Heck ahead and yeah. do that. No one does it. So go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good chance we'll play it. There's a good chance we'd play it. If you have anything to all the family members, if you have something you want to say before the end of the pod on the show, send it in. We might just play it. We'll probably play it if you say yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, I'm so glad you found us, and I hope you continue feeling the love even after we stop making new apps, because we will all be keeping on making all sorts of stuff, and so will you. Check the show notes to write your love letter to the family. Family, it's Patreon o'clock. 
We have a few <laughs> more episodes this season, which means you still have time to join our Patreon. We're using the Patreon money from this season to maintain our site and ensure you can listen to the pod long after our finale. When you join our Patreon at Team Paisley Moo or above, that's $7 a month, you get access to our legendary patron-only Facebook group where people are talking about fat-positive creators on TikTok. You'll also get a bonus mini-sode every Friday. Yelly and I have loved doing our big sister mailbags with you this season. <laughs> that's so true. Even when Lynn uploads the mini-sodes late, lol. <laughs> our advice sessions like sessions shortened lynn says <laughs> make me <laughs> make me and hopefully our patrons smile oh my god lynn wrote this at like one in the morning she's <laughs> like i upload the mini so it's late and she won't understand the word sessions unless i write like <laughs> sessions shortened <laughs> Oh my god. Amazing. Okay. This week we're talking about our obsessions. Okay, I'm gonna say this next line the way that I imagine Lynn saying it in their head. Okay. TikTok bitch. <laughs> That's exactly right, I think. <laughs> That's patreon.com slash she's all fat pod for a good time. That's all the news for this week. Now here's the episode. Hi, family. I am here with the icon, the beauty, the oh, intelligence. That's not really a person word, but I'm saying it. Jana Schmeeding, who you know from her amazing Fat Posse podcast, Woman of Size, and her recent big deal starring role and staff writer position on Peacock's Rutherford Falls. Welcome to the show, Jana. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. So I, that's a pretty good intro, but for people who don't know you, could you give a little intro to yourself and your connection with Fat Justice? Absolutely. Um, yeah, my name is Jana Schmeeding. I am uh, Sichangu and Minakanju Lakota enrolled in the Cheyenne River Lakota Sioux Tribe. So I am a native fat babe. I do identify as fat and that has come over the course of a lot of essentially work that I've been doing in the like body justice space. I have a podcast called Woman of Size that interviews people about size, weight stigma and intersections. And um yeah, I'm also a comedian and educator and now an actor. Amazing. <laughs> Which thing do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about your podcast or the show or indigenous justice or fat lib or what TV shows you're watching now? None of the above. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like all of those things. Um, Why don't you give us an intro to your podcast and maybe shout out an episode that you really like that people could listen to if they haven't heard of your podcast, which they should because you're on our resource page and we have mentioned you a couple of times. Just saying. Yeah, I think probably a lot of your listeners have maybe listened to my podcast as yes. well. I mean, I'm a listener of She's I'm All I'm a listener that, of so. Woman of Sex, so there we go. <laughs> so yeah, it started as actually a comedy idea. And I, what I was wanting to do was have a live comedy show in, in Los Angeles. I did comedy for years and years in New York City. I lived in New York City from 2000 and six until 2016, 2017, 
2005. Oh Damn. my god. Like 10 I lived years. There for 11 years. Wow. And I was a teacher in the Bronx uh, during the day and then uh, I was a comedian mostly improv and sketch comedy in the evenings. And that was kind of my grind. That was my hustle. And so I always have several comedy projects, you know, at different degrees and levels happening in my life. It's just who I am. I like to be busy. It's an unfortunate reality that I've had to (laughs) grapple with now that I'm like a working performer and writer. So yeah, I, when I got to Los Angeles, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was really interested in pursuing possibly getting paid to be a comedian. And I was actively entering a career transition from education to uh, what I was hoping would be television. And on the side, I wanted to continue to you know, have my own comedy projects. And one of my ideas was to have a comedy show, a monthly comedy show that highlights fat women in comedy because we are here and yes. and are very, very funny. Yes. There's a lot of us here because There's a, lot a lot of us like learned how to be funny because we wanted attention because <laughs> we weren't 100%. getting any. percent. <laughs> and we have unfortunately been relegated to comedy for better or worse. And then we were like, oh, I'm good at this. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, wait. You're not going to let me be good at this here, too? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> you don't care about me anywhere. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I see comedy also as an intelligence. It's yes. like a brilliant intelligence that so many of us have that I think I have a varying opinions about like fat women and comedy because fatness has been abused in comedy for so long. Yes. And I think as a fat person in comedy and I look around at the other fat people in comedy like right now and 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 historically uh, specifically women uh, fat women in comedy it's been you know an active pursuit of controlling the narrative around fatness and controlling the narrative and controlling the creative autonomy that we carry by overcoming those kinds of stereotypes and jokes and and writing for fat people. And I feel like only now are we kind of in a time when we're carving space for ourselves. And anyway, I noticed that coming to LA, what happened when I arrived here was what I knew would happen coming from New York, where I think, I think New York is much more of a liberatory city in terms of bodies and, and like, well, LA is a much more restrictive place than many other places. That's, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Like it's Los Angeles is an industry town. So like, you know, yes. So yeah, it was, I was pretty much, you know, sort of faced with the decision, like, how do I break in if I'm going to break in? Yeah. And I've always been a person who's had to write for myself and create Mm -hmm. content for myself because nobody's Mm -hmm. writing for um, a fat native woman. And so, yeah, I I was like, let me take a live comedy idea. And then I was like, well, a once a month doesn't really like fulfill me. And I also wonder if eventually I won't sort of like run out of performers, you know, like I, I feel like I'm kind of like keeping it such so limited in just fat people and it gets kind of hairy. Then we're like, you know, like, is it actually not inclusive to just do fat folks? And, you know, it's just like, I was like struggling <laughs> with that. And then I thought, well, another thing that I've always wanted to do is as a creative project is a podcast. 
And you know, there's a whole joke like every comedian has a podcast. Yes. Well, so do I. Okay. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> it's so funny. Every time I go somewhere that's not LA and people ask what I do, I do the same thing I do in LA, which is like, be like, I don't know, I have a podcast. Cause I, you don't want to like, I would never push my podcast, I know. And, you know, like <sighs> everyone has one. But when you're outside of LA, everyone's like, oh my God, what? Really? Like, that's so cool. And I'm always like, I know. Um, sorry, I would never expect anyone to. <laughs> you know, what's also funny is that when I first got hired, when like the uh, deadline articles and stuff were coming out about Rutherford Falls, even though I have literally, I have one podcast and it was for two seasons. Like, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to pick it back up. Like I was, it was completely self-produced. I didn't even have a network that I was a part of the first season. Like it was just like such a DIY little project yes. for me. And but I have like 10, I have like 15 years of performing yeah. expertise. And like deadline articles and Hollywood Reporter, when they were announcing the show and the cast of the show, they'd be like, and native podcaster Janish Meeting. Like they wouldn't. <laughs> say that I was an actor they were trying to like tell the world that I was a podcaster and oh I was God. like I love that you think I'm a podcaster but I like, like that is such a tiny fucking That's part of my so journey funny. it's just I mean it makes sense to me they like to have it's like you know whatever deadline intern who wrote it was like googled you and then was like okay this thing and then whoever looked at the deadline article only said that it's like that's how it happens it's so irritating it's so so irritating anyway the podcast started as a comedy project and it very quickly turned into what I feel like has been a little bit of like a almost like a grad program. Like I really like it became kind of a research project. It was things that I was have been thinking about my entire life, but they were finally being put into context. And, you know, is I got to interview a different person each week and sometimes multiple people in a week and like highlight other people's voices, which is something I'm very passionate about and talk about things that I have never been able to talk about with other people. So I was actively like participating in and helping to create a community for myself that was a safe community of people that I'm still very good friends with and just can be myself around and have a common language with. That's how I feel about this podcast too. I sim very similar. Yeah. yeah. It's like important for us to like have that in our lives and I've never had it. Yeah. Until my podcast. So it, it served many purposes for me. And, you know, sometimes the interviews are funny, but I think if listeners listen to both seasons, you'll find that the second season is much more in depth. And the further we go in, the more in depth the topics are, because it's also a sort of a reflection of my own self-discovery yeah. through fatness and linking fatness to my other identities and one of them being an indigenous person and, you know, learning about food sovereignty and, and like really kind of investigating where my food trauma has come from and, and exploring issues like intergenerational trauma and, you yeah. know, just like erasure and, and finding those links in like my entire world. So I love that the podcast like exists and it, and it brings me to like the company of people that I've 
deeply respect and that I like cannot like I, I'm so happy to be in community with and also for me personally is like an important space for me to kind of come to acknowledging myself yes. for the first time in my life and taking up a little bit of space in my own fucking life which yes. God is really hard to do yeah I mean I feel very similarly about this space and like what why I go after certain episodes and what they mean to me and like the ideas I get and such like it, it also feels very personal I mean that's like so this is the last season of this podcast oh for now that's my reason that I'm ending is because I do you put so much of yourself into it so much. so much okay so to to finish talking about your amazing podcast is there an episode or two you want to shout out for listeners to go check out um gosh there's so many episodes i we i mean, will also put a couple in the show notes and we'll put some on the social as well that are our choices but if there's anything oh, you want to point out one that i really like is andy murphy and her and i talk about food sovereignty a lot and that's Whoa. toward the end of season two and that's like less of a comedy episode and much more of like an intellectual episode and and speaks to sort of how food sovereignty and like health and wellness quote unquote is either undermined or promoted through that movement. I don't know what food sovereignty is. I'll have to listen to it. Yeah. Well, just to give you a brief overview, food sovereignty is the act of reclaiming indigenous traditional food ways and food culture and being able to have ownership over our food ways and food culture through land reclamation and restoration, as well as like religious practices, ceremonies, and like political autonomy. So it's like a lot of things, but it comes... I have an article that was just published in Bon Appetit. Oh, nice. About food and food sovereignty. And and I highly recommend folks read that article because it's it's a good, like, understanding of where I stand on my harsh opinions about white wellness culture <laughs> um, <laughs> and how it sort of not only appropriates indigenous food culture, but it does so in a very violent way, which is to say that native people have been separated through genocide and erasure have been separated from our traditional foodways for generations and generations and and to see uh, wealthy white people have access to the things that we have historically been uh, it's been illegal for indigenous people to to practice these ways to problematic i don't know yeah, racist bad. bad it's bad <laughs> yeah it's that sounds bad, bad. <laughs> this sounds this sounds really important yeah we'll link that in the show notes for sure Okay, I have a thought, but I think it's a pretty white thought, but I'm going to say it anyways. Say it. And tell me if I'm racist. It's always it happens all the time. <laughs> I know? doubt it. it pro- uh, white people are always I mean sure half the stuff that I, you know, it's in it's <laughs> it's in there. It's hard not to, it's hard to get it all out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I almost feel like the more that I become educated about like indigenous stuff and how it's connected to fat justice at, or like racism and how it's connected to fat justice like it's so much easier for me to see injustice for someone who I'm not related to. Do you know what I mean? And understanding how fatness fits into that, like makes it more clear for me because it's so hard to separate from the lens of whiteness looking at myself. Does that make sense? Yes. I think that what you're probably experiencing, because I understand this as like, because 
we need lenses through which to understand ourselves. Like we yeah. need we need context. And yeah. it's really hard to pull ourselves out of our contemporary context to yes. look objectively at what we're experiencing. And we are also in a moment culturally where we're having a lot of reckonings with history and addressing history through an intersectional lens. And, you know, it it is uncomfortable, but it's also easy to contextualize our culture in yeah. that way to see white culture as a culture like to give it context helps yes and in order to do that you have to look through the lens of a different culture absolutely <laughs> absolutely like i have found the more that i get educated the more that i am desperate to find more ways to to understand what i my lens is because yeah, you, you yeah. can't always see it. But like, for example, reading Fearing the Black Body, like it helped so much yes. for me to feel more secure about my opinions about medical fat phobia, for 100%. example. 100%. Do you know what I 100%. mean? 100%. Re- uh, for me, reading that book helped me formulate opinions about the savage, the the like yes. sa- the tropes of the savage and, yes. and the the liberation within that trope, but also like the same idea can be applied to indigenous people. Those yes. same rules can be applied to indigenous people. And you see the systemic ways in which it was, it has kind of invaded our culture yes. as indigenous people. And I also want to take a moment to say that like my access to this knowledge is a privilege in itself and I feel like it you know even though like I don't want fatness to be my only thing like I don't just want to be the fat lady with a fat podcast like unfortunately (laughs) that is uh, I was having this conversation with a friend today who was asking oh yeah like in all of your interviews do you get asked about your body like how much how often do you does it happen and I said you know it does happen all the time and it's okay like I even though I am a comedian and an actor and a writer and like have all these other things, I'm a bead artist. Like I have all these other things going on in yeah. my life. Like our culture is so fucking obsessed yes. with bodies yes. that like it will always be part of my sacred duty <laughs> to talk about this for my people, yeah. for indigenous people to have access to this understanding yeah. for young indigenous fat kids to be able to say like, hey, it's fucking okay. Like we, here's why we are the way we are and, or, or a piece of us, you know, and like we, we have to talk about this because just like in any other space, diet recovery and holistic wellness, like wellness is something that native people just do not have access to. Yes. So I do think that like, even though I personally want it to, I want us to get to the point where we don't have to talk about this anymore. Like, yeah. I want my podcast to be like obsolete and like yeah. unimportant culturally. You don't want your fatness to precede you in the room. It's annoying. Yes, it's annoying. I agree. I still think that like we're just not there. Yeah. We're just unfortunately not there yet. I was also saying to my friend earlier, a lot of people on Twitter about Rutherford Falls have been like, oh my gosh, love the show, love Jana. I love that they have a fat lady on the show, you know, who, but they never talk about it. And to me, I'm in this very interesting time where I'm like, yeah, and I don't want to talk about it either. Like, <laughs> but I also still talk about it. I talk about it with my fat friends all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, 
Like, even I want it to be not a thing anymore. Sure. And I'm not in the space where it can be obsolete to totally. me. My fatness, you know. It's, we are just aren't there yet. Yes. As much as I want people to on Twitter to be like, yeah, she's just a good actor. Yes. If she's just a woman who has a, a romantic relationship with a thin man. Like, not even a thin man. Just like a per, two people – having a romantic relationship yes. on a TV show, it still has to be, like, celebrated and called out and and by fat people. Like, yes. and I get it. I get it. And I'm also like, ah, I know. Yeah, let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's not make it a thing. <laughs> I totally understand that. It's so weird. It's also hard because, like, unlike something like Shrill, the show right. is not about you being fat. You know, right. It's like not the point. And so you have to balance this like in some ways representation is the point for part of this show in other ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like not not in that way. I totally get that. It's hard to have something made your brand when you were like, I just wanted to be it up has there. Been, yeah, it has <laughs> been very, very interesting because even though we didn't talk about it on the show – because I have the podcast Woman of Size, people know that I can talk about it. And yeah. so whenever, you know, media would ask to me to do interviews or something, I would always wait for the question to come up because I, it, it inevitably would. It was never – no one didn't have questions about it. It's yeah, very fascinating. Because how weird for a fat person to right. lead a show. Just so strange and bizarre. And you're not a white man in a sitcom. taboo. I know. So. <laughs> like as if being in the first native comedy lead wasn't enough. enough. Like, yeah. yeah. For real. For real. <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much. Like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so now that we're talking about the show, can you give a brief pitch for Rutherford Falls for people who have maybe haven't heard of it? Just like two words are Rutherford Falls. Watch the show. And but yeah, it was a brief pitch. But and then let's talk about yeah, I want to hear about your experience so far on the show. Yeah. Um, Rutherford Falls, which you can find on Peacock. If you are a person who doesn't want to pay for another streamer, I totally understand. You can get <laughs> Peacock a free subscription for seven days. And binge it. It's a very binge-worthy show. I did. <laughs> That's what I did. I encourage anybody to do that. I will be resubscribing when the second season drops and not <laughs> <Yeah>. until then. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And and it's five – I think it's $5 a month otherwise. Yeah. Anyway, it's about two friends and the communities in which they live. It takes place in the northeast in a town called Rutherford Falls, which sits on the border of the tribal homelands of the Minashanka people, a reservation. 
And these two friends, Nathan Rutherford, who is a descendant of the quote unquote founder of the town of Rutherford Falls, and his best friend, Regan Wells, played by me, and Nathan is played by Ed Helms. And Regan and Nathan are old, old friends, and they, because of a you know, a, a monument issue that is a monument dedicated to Lawrence Rutherford, the founder of the town, is threatened because of the monument is threatened to be taken down or removed or cha- location changed. It sort of uh, sends this town into a little bit of a whirlwind and it winds up making Nathan Rutherford sort of want to double down on his history. He's also a historian. They're both historians. But he wants to double down on defending his history, defending the monument, and all of the sort of shitty things that happen as a result of that. And his best friend, Regan, is at the same time working to turn her modest little cultural center at the back of a tribal casino into a full-fledged museum. So, yeah. The sort of like the broad generalization of the show is it's about history and which histories do we cling to and what happens when the historical narrative of a people is threatened and how are we defending it? So Yeah, it's a great show. I'm really excited it got renewed. I was worried it wouldn't because it's led by a fat native person (laughs) and like that never gets... Anything I like gets canceled, so I was really worried, (laughs) and I'm so glad that it got renewed, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks. What has been your favorite part of being on the show, acting, working with Ed Helms, working with yourself, working with the writer's room? What's been your favorite part? Oh, my gosh. So many favorite parts. I uh, The entire experience has been amazing because it's the first time that I have been a paid writer for TV and being a part of the shaping of the narrative of a TV show, which is huge as a Native person. It's also one of the first Native shows that is written by Native people to exist in ever yeah. literally ever yeah so that has been monumental for me personally and i think for the community as well and being a performer on the show has been amazing i mean one of the things that i love about comedy and performing is the collaboration yeah and this has been like a huge collaboration between a bunch of different kinds of people and like just the good vibes have permeated the entire show. I feel like you can see it on the show that everybody's having a good time and is down to clown. And it just like for us to be able to make jokes that native people can watch and laugh to is like extremely meaningful to me. Of course. I have, you know, said it many times, but I always say it that, uh, like to be a a person who is coming into the homes of like native folks and making them laugh is like extraordinary. It is extraordinary honor for me to be able to do that. That's amazing. I mean, and it is a great show. Like it's very fun. I think it's very like, I was interested because I read the premise and then I was like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do this in like a public show kind of way. Like hard to hard to talk about the things that you guys talk about while being I mean, inoffensive is the wrong word, but like it's like educational and smart and funny and also like I don't think you're going to get picketed. 
Do you know what I mean? Like racists aren't maybe going to be like, this is the worst show in the world because it's very like, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's very yeah. like, approachable. We got like a we got like a Breitbart headline. Of course. Well, of course. But but like that was our Congrats. only like racist <laughs> claim to fame. Yeah. I know. We felt kind of good about it. But yeah, it is it's not a show that is drawing any harsh political lines. It's yeah. really and it's not answering a lot of questions. It's just yeah. putting well-rounded characters in a complex situation, in the kind of complex situation that we all live in right now. And I like that. It's not preachy, which people sometimes say like justice things are preachy. And I'm always like, I think it's informational. Actually, I like it. Like I don't, (laughs) I think preachy is usually fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not like that at all. It's lit. It literally is just like well-formed characters of a kind that you don't usually get to see. And that's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people ask, like, was it hard to, like, avoid stereotyping yourselves in the writer's room? I know. I was like, I don't know. No, absolutely not. Like, I've literally (laughs) my entire life been in the continuous act of defending my own history. Yeah. So it was very easy to write this kind of a narrative. And the character of Regan Wells is not that far away from who I am as a person. So I was really able to like participate in the crafting and the creation of a character of a fat native woman. And that's been my work. That's been my like creative hustle for 15 years. I love that know what I'm doing. Um, So it really feels like this show is is special to me for many reasons, but in terms of like my creative passions and endeavors, like it's really been an exciting launching pad for me. Like I can't believe, I honestly cannot believe that this is my first job. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's not how it happens for no. anyone. <laughs> not usually, but I'm so glad it did, honestly. like Me too. Who were your comedy and acting and writing inspirations? You know, I have so many. I have so <laughs> many. Like over the years, I've gone through many different comedic eras, aesthetic eras, you yes. know, like and – I am, like, a big fan of, like, Rosie O'Donnell early stand-up. Like, I'm, like, a big fan of, like, Whoopi Goldberg solo shows, like, on, you know, early, early, like, 80s, 90s shit, you know? Before these people were, like, extraordinarily famous. And I really like a low-budget, like, a lo-fi comedy show. I was really into sketch comedy coming up. I was really into you know, Tim and Eric and a lot of like dude comedy, like Tim and Eric. I was really into, I was really into, um, Mr. Show on HBO with Bob and David. I was really into Chappelle show. Like I continue to love sketch comedy. I was an SNL lover. I was a huge Chris Farley, not, not a fan. I would say, like, I wanted to, like, have sex with Chris Farley. Like, I <laughs> yeah. still do, like, posthumously. Yeah. Like, I love him so much. <laughs> like, he – it's, like, such a sad passing, such a harrowing story of a comedian who burnt out too early like so many of our fat comedians do. I mean, yes. just burn hot and fizzle out yes. in the saddest way and – you know, for probably a plethora of reasons, but I cannot ignore the fact that a lot of them are fat and that 
you know, that is like something I'm sure that they were like yeah. grappling with as a person. Yeah. Okay. Now I have a now I have a fat related question. Great. Okay. What is was the costuming experience like? Because I've read a lot of stuff about costuming for Shrill and how they had to like make her new clothes and stuff. Yeah. She also wears like kind of party party stuff, and your character wears more like normal clothes you know what I mean yeah like business cash yeah but like what was the costuming experience like it was really good like I worked with the costumers on Rutherford Falls well first of all my showrunner Sierra Teller Ornelas is a woman of size and has been on my podcast she's a guest on my podcast so you can find the episode also on the podcast but that was very helpful because she was able to sort of help guide the process she knew before I knew that she wanted to hire me as Regan or she at least wanted to audition me and was thinking of me in mind as playing the role and so there was definitely like her aesthetic was coming into the design of the costuming and yeah I mean I'm no A.D. Bryant, so I cannot like I don't I don't think we have like the budget to be able to build me an entire (laughs) wardrobe. But we did, you know, it was a lot of like, I mean, I can't tell you like it was a dream compared to normal trying things on (laughs) and the nightmare, which is absolutely like the worst experiences (laughs) we've ever had in our lives. Nightmares. It was wonderful because there's a tailor on site and all of my clothing was tailored if it needed to be. The costumer Kirsten Mann is a very thin woman, but she started listening to my podcast when I was hired. And that was kind of an interesting experience because, you know, she's getting like a dose of the struggle through me and my podcast so that I don't have to do a lot of explaining to her. But yeah, I I got to like, they like pulled things from like Torrid and some like Anthropology Plus stuff. There was like a bunch of different brands that they would just like pull from the racks and then I would go into the room and just, they would just be like, discard anything that like has a pattern or a shape that you do not want they like really really leaned into me making decisions about my own costuming yeah it was really it was really helpful but I also like was like I need your help to uh, like I don't trust my own style sometimes you know I don't well especially for being on tv like you don't you haven't done that before in this kind of way so like Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I do not want Regan to look like, you know, I mean. You want her to look good. You just want her to look good. I want her to look good. I want her to look modern. I want her to look like she like, you know, I just want her to wear cute clothes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a I got a little taste of like what it's like to be a lead on a TV show in that situation. I know it was really just like. That particular experience was, like, very much, like, oh, my God. Like, because I've also had other costuming experiences that were absolutely the most rude, nightmarish, horrible. And almost every other fat actor that I know in this town uh, that I've talked to has had the same experiences. It's real hellscape. My God. I mean, I'm sure. There's – okay, I have a related question that – I don't know how much you'll be able to say, but we'll see. Okay, I was wondering if – in the direction of the episodes, if like there was any discussion ever about, okay, I'll just 
you say it. There are specifically a couple moments where I notice your character sitting on the edge of couches or on the edge of chairs. Was that like just how you sit? Or I saw that and I was like, they better not have told her to sit on the end of it so she wouldn't look fatter. No. Was that? Okay, good. That was my worry that they were like, sit on the edge so you don't like, you know, sit back. Never that. Okay, good. Well, never, not, no, no, not that I knew of. And I also... I'm always suspicious as a fellow person. I'm always like, I understand a personal choice, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I truly, I truly understand. Like I, I think that like, there's so much sensitivity about our show and I feel it too about fatness and about indigeneity. Oh yeah. And because these are two populations that have been absolutely abused by this industry. So of course you're going to be wary and asking a lot of questions and very critical and it's to be specific not wary about the actors or the writers i'm more i'm i guess maybe not the directors i'm worried i'm where i i've been in la long enough you know yeah, what i mean totally no like just wary of the whole situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know like none of that if anything it was like my own comfort good i was like they're they're better they better be nice to her they better protect her they were so protective (laughs) so nice you know i i think that there's also like some moves that you can make as an actor of size if you know how to advocate for yourself you can ask yeah you know, at a certain position, I was kind of like, I, I, you know, there were times that I would say to Sierra, like, just make sure that's not the camera's not like right yeah, here. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. like make me look flattering. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I'm sure that there was a little bit of discussion about that. Like, I, you know, I don't mind being the first because I've been an educator. I've been, I've but it's been, hard. but it's it, it hard. Sucks. It, and it's hard, but I don't mind that. Like yeah. I, I see myself as a person who's like primed for this position because yeah. I've done a lot of advocacy in my life. Yeah. I've been a teacher for many, many years. I was teaching my my peers and my teachers at a young age about my own history throughout my entire life. Well, this is your first time in this specific position, but it's not your first time in this kind of position at all. Not at all. Not at all. And so I don't mind being a person who is educating my costumers and educating my the the, the DP. But it's not like it was. That's not what it was like. It wasn't me being like, hey, you guys. Like it just (laughs) – that's not what it looked like at all. Good. But yeah, I'm sure that there was some learning that had to happen on everybody's front, including the writers. Yeah. Because, you know, it's very easy to write fat jokes. Yep. It's a low-hanging fruit. Yep. It's hard to write good ones. They do exist. (laughs) They do exist. But I think, you know, it's like the act of having a a, a good person in those positions, the, 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 you know, people being like, oh, I like this person. I like Jana. I don't want to hurt her feelings. Right. You know, like, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to fucking fuck this up. Yeah. And I think that that is like a, a thing that puts people in check a little bit is being like, okay, I want this person to, to look good. Like I, I do want – I do want to treat this person with dignity. Yeah. You know, which is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> that we have to – that people need to like us to want to treat us with dignity. But 
I don't mind being the the first person to be able to say like, no, you have to treat me with dignity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that sounds exhausting. I was just thinking, looking at you, like, I don't know how you don't have huge bags under your eyes from being on the show and writing and doing all the stuff that you are doing right now. How are you not exhausted? Are you exhausted? Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly exhausted. <laughs> it doesn't look, it doesn't manifest as bags <laughs> under my eyes. It just manifests you as great. fucking I- exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, it's exhausting to be a person. You know, anybody who has been in a position of advocacy is exhausted. It's an exhausting time to be an advocate as well. So, Of course. You know, I'm also learning to manage that. I'm learning a big part of this entire process has been a really interesting lesson for me in boundary setting and when to say no to things and when and how to protect myself above all else because uh, nobody else has as good of has my interest at yes you know my I'm sure that other people do want to protect me but like nobody can do that like I'm the only one I have really when it comes down to it and so it is really important to me that I am getting rest and that I've recently started, I, I like, because I was able to afford it, I hired a personal trainer. Hell yeah. And I'm doing stuff for my body. I'm in my body more than I've ever been in my life. Yes. In my adult life. And it's a very, it's a, a lot of self-work to do yeah. that. <laughs> yes, it is. And so, like, I'm always making sure that I'm prioritizing my mental health above all else. Right now. That yeah. has not always been the case. <laughs> That has not always been the case. Gosh, you're definitely one of the more stable TV writers I've ever talked to. I don't know. (laughs) You sound so sane. (laughs) I guess this is also my first show and I've only done it one season. So talk to me in a couple years. Shit will probably have changed. I mean, maybe. I doubt you'll be as off the wall as some people get. (laughs) But we'll see. We'll see. I'm also old. Like, I'm not old, but like, I'm I'm almost 40. Like, I've... That's not old. I think that there's something to be said you've for, had a whole part of your career yes. already and you're bringing that confidence and you know yourself a lot more yeah. than younger people do yeah yeah i get yeah. that i i just turned 30 last year and i already i was like i couldn't wait i was like my 30s better be fucking better than my 20s. <laughs> oh yeah i when i was 18 i was like i'm already 30 literally it was like i don't want to do this i don't i'm I not a partier please let me just be calm and more confident <laughs> Like, that's all I want, you know? Yes, yes. Okay, to wrap up, is there any other – do you have any funny behind-the-scenes story or a moment that was your particular favorite you want to point out or a line that you loved, anything like that from the show? I mean, I wish I had so many behind-the-scenes antics, but we shot during COVID, and it was very, very restricted. Yes, it was safe and so it was boring. It sure was. Yeah, I get that. But yeah, I think I think one of my favorite episodes right now, I, I sort of like shift, but r- right now my favorite episode is episode eight because it takes place at a gaming uh, casino conference and there's yes. like conference going jokes in there, but there's also a ton of like great native jokes yes. uh, for people. And it's a little bit more of like a native-y episode. Uh-huh. And for that reason, like I really – I really like that one. I love that. Yeah, I know. I like that episode too. I think there's, I haven't been in that many rooms where I've had the opportunity to pitch stuff. Okay. I'm not trying to, don't, don't, nobody take the impression that I'm 
up and coming writer because I'm not. But the times that I've been able to like talk about stuff, a lot of times you get a response that's like, I don't know, like that seems so, you have to explain a lot. And like your show really shows how like, what I have thought the whole time, which is you can just make fucking jokes and people will get it because people are people. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to be like in native culture, blah, blah. Like you can just make the joke. You don't have to do that shit. And I don't know, so many, LA is full of like white execs who are like, "Mm, but will people relate? And so I'm like, watch this show and you'll understand. Uh, Totally. Yeah, I think that also having a native showrunner was mage in that because Sierra was very much like, I don't know if things go over people's heads. Oh, well, but also like, let's try it in the room. Yeah. If like most of the native people laughed at it and other like if it didn't need a lot of explanation in the room, then it seems like it's something that could go in the show. You know what I mean? Like it's like we we were able to have a bit of a testing ground because we had a diverse room. Yeah. Like just being able to say like. This is like like the crabs in the last episode, the crabs in the bucket episode. Yes. In that conversation in the room was looks like, okay, here's what crabs in the bucket means. And then our like Latinx writer was like, oh, yeah, we have that. It's like crabs in a barrel. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Mike Schur being like, oh, we definitely have that in Boston. It's called blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody has their version of crabs yes. in a bucket. We understand what it is, but it's not necessarily a specific Native thing. But here's how Native people contextualize it for ourselves and what it looks like in our lives. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just a, like a, it's like uh, the theory of relativity, uh, it, but in uh, creative writing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this is just in my head. But it seems to me like there's a lot more tolerance for things being fiction stories in other cultures, quote unquote, other cultures from the white norm, or like being more diverse when it's like a book, like a literary book than a TV show. And I'm like, okay, but in a TV show, you have so much more context, you have the words and you have visual and you can, you can get so like, how do you think you learn about things is you learn you context clues things yeah like it's not that hard yeah. to learn to yeah you're like oh I even if I don't get it all the way I get it and then you're like oh I learned like it's not that hard yeah like you know? when Reg- <laughs> in episode eight when Regan looks over at Terry uh when they enter the conference she sees that he's wearing this giant beaded medallion and she says nice medallion flavor Flav well anybody <laughs> who's ever seen flavor of love or knows yes. who flavor Flav is understands that joke also anybody who understands that medallions are a signal yes. of like the big ni- the bigger it is the, like yes. you know the more you know you're trying to put on it just like it, it, that line alone well that given line conveys the, that i didn't necessarily that. know that before but of that course. line conveys that very exactly. clearly Exactly. It doesn't need to be a documentary for for people to understand at all, which sometimes is the vibe I get from people about stuff, you know? Yeah. That line's a perfect example of that, where I was like, I can both laugh at the joke and not even consciously, but subconsciously was like, oh, okay, this is what you're like. That's what that means. Totally. You know? Totally. I think it's a great show. I'm very excited to see season two. I think you're doing amazing. Thanks. I hope that people will watch the show and enjoy it and, you know, talk about it with their friends. 
there's another show that I'm in very, I have a very small part in that, that is also the, the, another native show called Reservation Dogs that's coming out on FX in August. Oh, cool. Uh, I'll August. have to look out for it. That's awesome. Yeah. And that one's about specifically res Indians and, and how like, so like teenagers on a res in Oklahoma. Oh, wow. So that was a very different vibe to yes. totally different shows, but I'm definitely like constantly wanting people to just consume indigenous content and consume it with joy. Yes. I'm glad you said that because that was one of the biggest takeaways for me from this was like, again, this show is another perfect example of why you need to let own voices happen because it's so fun. It's so fun. You're going to get much better jokes and you're going to get let in on the joke. And that's why it feels good to watch. Yeah. No more stories about us without us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we're we're definitely we're feeling good about it, and season good. two is gonna happen in I don't know, like twenty twenty two. Yes, and I'm very excited, very honored. That's so exciting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Please, family, check out the show notes. Go listen to Women of Size. Go stream Rutherford Falls. Follow Jana on your socials. And yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And that's the episode. Reminder that we have a voicemail box at 213-375-5023. And we want to hear from you. You can call in with questions, concerns, and Rutherford Falls quotes. And we might even play your message on the pod. Hey, uh, what if you left us an Apple podcast review? We would be so thankful. We'd probably read it on the show. We definitely read it on our show. Look us up on Apple Podcasts and give us a big fat five stars. As always, shout out to our patrons. Thank you to Michaela, Sabrina Webb, Amy Gooch, Lydia Beller McKenna, Grace Hayakumoto, Nicole Bartlett, Cassandra Barkley, Ruth, April, and Maggie Micklow. We couldn't make the show without you. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Kahn, and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Vertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. 
you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.